Good morning. It is so very good to see you all and good to be here on this beautiful morning. We have such a wonderful opportunity to stand in the presence of our Creator and, and to offer up our prayers to Him and sing these songs of praise. And such a wonderful blessing and privilege that we have. Thank you to the men who have led us in our worship to this point. And we now take time to hear a message from God's Word. And I want to talk to you this morning about the idea that we are free to choose. Devin mentioned in his prayer as, he's, as we were praying for... Um, thank you, Jack. As we were praying for um, our giving back to God, and, and he mentioned that we live in a free country, and, we, and indeed we do. We have so many freedoms in, in this country that are not... So, all over the world. But we have more freedoms in this country than most mankind has ever had in the history of civilization. It's not always been this way. Men have not always been able to choose um, even to the smallest things, but certainly uh, the larger things. So, while we have um, a lot of blessings in the, the ability to choose, there's also some things that we need to be very careful of. Because we have this, this freedom to choose, we need to make sure that we're making the right decisions. So I want to talk this morning a little bit about this idea of choice and, and choosing. And let's start off by talking about um, some of the choices that we make. What kind of choices do we make? Well, you know, there's the little choices that we make. What we have for breakfast, what we put on today, what, uh, you know, what we might watch on TV. Those, those, those are choices that we don't even, even really think about, do we? Those are the little ones. That's not the ones we're talking about. We're not talking about those. That's for other study and for other things. Uh, we're not talking about those little ones. Those, it, because in the grand scheme of things, they don't matter at all. Of course, I'm not talking about sinful choices. I'm just talking about the choices that we make every day. There's bigger choices. There's ones that, that do matter. There's some things that, that do matter. The things that we might decide today might have immediate consequences, or they might have consequences later on down the road. And those things we need to take very seriously and understand that, indeed, the choices we make today may have some far-reaching consequences. We'll touch on that a little bit as we go. But they do matter, and at least in the context in, in, in which we're talking about, what jobs we'll take, where we'll um, move our family, where we'll um, go to school, um, what job we might take that might take us away from whatever. Um, the things that we, the, the choices that we make in our travel and all those things, which we might take for granted, they mean things. They mean something. They show how we are dedicated or not dedicated to God. So in the context, these, these bigger ones, these bigger choices are indeed important. But the ones that, re that really, really matter are the ones we're going to talk about this morning. And they are in the context of this how it is that we conduct ourselves. What attitude do we have? How do we interact with those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those out in the world? How we conduct ourselves? We make choices in that. 
And those are certainly important, and it dis displays the kind of people that we are, so we need to be very careful about how it is that we choose to conduct ourselves. We have the choice of whether or not we believe in God. You know, we have that choice. Now I'm going to make a good argument, or I hope so, <laughs> at least I'm going to try, I'm going to make a strong argument that there is an all-powerful God and Creator, but we still have the choice of whether or not we're going to serve Him. So that's a, a, a big choice. And if we do choose to believe in God, how then do we go about worshiping Him? How then do we go about serving Him? the way that he would have us to, the way that he has prescribed for us to do. And those are big choices, because they matter, because it matters how we serve our God. So let's start off then with how it is that we conduct ourselves. Go with me to Psalm chapter 1, or sorry, Psalm 1. That's an old uh, habit that's, that's dying hard. And the reason I say that is because you know, man has come along and ascribed chapters to lots of the books that we read, but the Psalms are just that. They're Psalms. They are a collection of different Psalms. So when we say Psalms 1, that's the first Psalm. So they are indeed collected already. In Psalm 1, we understand that we get to choose how it is that we live our life. And we're either going to live our life selflessly or selfishly. Read with me in Psalm 1. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, this begins our discussion in understanding that we have a choice. We can choose to live selflessly, where we, we talked about this morning in our Bible class, putting others' needs ahead of our own. Seeking after God, what is his will for us and what is his will for us towards each other? And that's a selfless kind of life. Or we can live selfishly, where we are looking out after ourselves only. And we seek counsel in, uh, in, in, in wicked people, in scoffers. We ought to be seeking counsel in God. So we have to... Uh, a choice right off the bat, who is we're going to serve. And this shows how it is that we're going to conduct our life. Are we going to conduct our life in a selfless way? Or are we going to conduct our life in a selfish way? So we can pursue worldly things. We certainly can do that. Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse 3, uh, verse three he says, Among them too, uh, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of flesh and the mind. We by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You see, there is that um, desire in us that we can go after things of the flesh and things of the mind, where we can indulge ourselves in the fleshly world. We can pursue worldly things. 
Or we can pursue godly things. In 1 Timothy 6, in verse 10, is the, is the verse there that um, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And pursuing after that, many men have, have uh, corrupted, corrupted themselves. Look what he says there in verse 11. It says, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So as he's saying about this selfish pursuit of money and how that leads to all sorts of trouble, he's telling Timothy here to, to, to move away from those things. Go the other direction. Flee from those things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. Persevere. Don't indulge in the things of the flesh. Seek after God. But understand this, that in either of these, God's going to hold us accountable. You see, we have the choice and the freedom to choose, but there's consequences for the choices that we make. Look with me over in Romans chapter 2. I did get that right, Romans chapter 2. Romans 2. You see, we have a wonderful freedom, and it is a blessing that we have so much freedom in this country, and the freedom to choose things. But understand that that we are going to be held accountable for the choices that we make. In Romans 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. See, there it is. Render to every man according to his deeds. What it is that I have done, I've got to answer for. Verse 7. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for the glory uh, glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. For those who are living selflessly, what's the reward? It is eternal life. But verse 8, But to those who are selfish, ambitious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, guess what their reward is? You might call it a reward. Paul says wrath and indignation. So even in the choices that we make, we can pursue worldly things if we want to, but understand that It comes at a very high price. The wrath of God. Whereas if we pursue godly things, what is our reward? Eternal life. It's really pretty simple when it comes down to it, isn't it? So, understanding that, that God's going to hold us accountable for for, um, the decisions that we make, we we might want to back up and just ask ourselves a question. Do we believe in God? Do we truly believe in God? Well, let's first understand this, that he is a real choice. If you're there in Romans, go back to chapter 1, beginning verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, 
so that they are without excuse. You see, those who, the atheists who say there is no God, have a little bit of a problem with this passage because Scripture says there is a God. And not only that, Scripture says there's a God because of the things that you see around you. The very fact that you can see the things around you, you can interact with the things around you, that there are things around you, that proves the presence of God. And what does Paul say here? He says, they are without excuse. You see, his divine nature had been clearly seen through what is made. So, I'm sorry, but if you say there is no God, the world around you says otherwise. The world around you says there is a God, an intelligent creator, an almighty God. But we can still choose not to believe in him. We have a lot of people in the world who do. They still choose not to believe in God. And they rely on their own uh, guidance. And I think we've seen those in our own lives. They rely on themselves that I, I, can, I don't need God. Why do I need God? I can make it through this life just fine. But see, Scripture tells us about that too. In Jeremiah 1 and verse 23 it says, I know, O Lord, that a man's ways is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. You see, there's, there's a little bit of a problem. Now, it's difficult because, you know, we can function in this world fine, living our life day to day, depending on ourselves to, to make it through this life. We can exist in that way. But if we want to be pleasing to God if we want to really understand what it is to live a life to God, we've got to understand that he is the one that's going to have to direct our steps. It's not in us to do it. We can know there is a God. We can look, and as Paul has just written there in Romans, and see the world around us and know there is a God. But unless we're willing to seek after him, we're not going to know exactly how we ought to follow him. That's when reading scripture and studying uh, the Bible comes in handy because it tells us, tells us what it is that we should be doing, to seek his guidance. And it is better indeed to rely on his guidance. Go back to Psalms now. Let's go to Psalm 23. <clears throat> it's uh, much more wise to uh, put our faith and our hope and our trust in God, not in ourselves, but in Him. Psalm 23, it's a, it's a familiar one to us, isn't it? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You see how the, David is writing here as the, the, the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful sentiment? Let God be the shepherd. 
Let him provide the things that we need. We talked this morning in our Bible class. What is it a shepherd does? A shepherd provides for his flock. He gives them, he leads them to the pastures. He leads them to water. He protects them from the wolves. That's the relationship that God is offering for us. That's the relationship that he wants. He wants us to believe in him. And he's given us all kind of things, all manner of uh, existence of the things around us to show that he is indeed God, that he is our creator. He doesn't really ask a whole lot of us. He asks us to let him be our shepherd. So if we believe in God and understand that he has given us uh, his great word, it's important to understand that we need to worship God in a certain way. So the choices that we make and how do we worship God. You see, we have choices even in how we worship God. Now, we come together here in Cortez on the first day of the week, and we do certain things that we see in the New Testament. We sing, and we pray, and we gather around the table to remember the Lord's Supper and to take up a collection. And now you're listening to a portion of, of God's Word. That is all from Scripture. That's what we find in Scripture. That's what we find the early church doing. So we can choose to do that, or we can choose to add things to that, and we can take things away from that. But you see the problem? You see, God tells us what it is that we, he wants us to do. It's not in a man to direct his own steps. We look to God's word. And if it's there, we do it. If it's not, we don't. I don't know how to put it any plainer. But again, the choice is ours. You know I had to go to Joshua 24 if we're going to talk about choice, right? Go to Joshua chapter 24. <clears throat> Remember about Joshua, he is the one that would take the reins from Moses after Moses would die and not enter into the promised land. Joshua would be the one that would actually lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And not only did he inherit the great leadership and the great responsibility, but he also inherited the, the grumbling and stiff-necked people that he had to lead. And so as they have entered into the promised land, and Joshua is giving this farewell address here in the last pages of the book of Joshua, we come to chapter 24, verse 14. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. As he's telling them these final words, he's saying, get rid of idolatry, because it's something they struggled with forever and going to continue to struggle with. Put away those things. And what does he say here in verse 15? And if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. See, there's our, there's our choice. If it's disagreeable for what I'm saying, then, then you choose today who you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living, you know, you can choose to serve those gods if you want to. You have that choice. But what does Joshua say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, we have a choice. Joshua is saying, well, we have a choice, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve the Lord. 
We're not going to serve those gods beyond the river. We're not going to serve those gods of the Amorites. We're not going to serve those gods of the Egyptians. We're going to serve God, the Creator, God Almighty, Jehovah God. So, in our choosing, there's some things that we can choose. We can choose idolatry, just like the children of Israel struggled with it for so long. In Exodus 32 there, this talks about the golden calf. Remember how Moses was delayed on Mount Sinai and the children started to get worried and they said, what are we going to do? So they come up with this great idea. They're going to melt down the gold that they have and fashion it into a, a golden calf and that's what they're going to worship. I love that story. All the events there. We just put this in the fire and this calf came out. That's idolatry. That's taking something and putting it between you and God. And that comes down to us today. We've talked about that a lot in our studies. Whatever that thing is that comes between us and God, that serves as idolatry. We put our faith and our trust in, in our bank account. We put our faith and our trust in the beautiful home that we have. We're supplanting the things that God provides for us with these earthly things. That's idolatry. Get rid of that. Get rid of the golden calf, as Moses did. Remember how he burned it, ground it down to powder, and then spread it, the ashes out on the water? That's how we have to think about idolatry. Anything that comes between us and God, we need to be willing to utterly destroy, to get rid of it. But we can choose that. Or we can just choose to be ignorant. Sounds funny, we can choose ignorance, but we can. Ignorance just simply means that you don't know something about something. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're stupid or dumb. It just means you don't know something about something. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul is there in, in Athens, and he goes up to the, to the Areopagus there, and he, and he sees that they have uh, an inscription to an unknown god. He sees all these, he's, as he's touring around Athens, he sees all these gods that they have, and these inscriptions, and these altars and these statues that they have to these gods and here in chapter 17 he sees this one to an unknown god remember what he says to him he says therefore what you worship in ignorance this i proclaim to you and he tells them about jehovah god about god the creator and he tells them that this is the god you ought to be serving the one who has set up man's habitations, the one who has instilled something in mankind that makes them search for God. Not an ignorant, unknown God, but God that has presented himself to mankind. That's the God that you need to be serving. Or we can choose to worship God in vain. Look in Matthew chapter 15. This was such a problem with Jesus in his time, the time of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the elders that were worshiping God in vain because they had taken away and supplanted the word of God with their own teachings and traditions and, and Jesus has to preach and teach them so much about how that is erroneous, how much error there is in that. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, since now some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus um, from Jerusalem saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? 
for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. You see, this, the scribes and the Pharisees, they loved all these legalistic things that they could do. You've got to wash your hands, you've got to wash the bowls, you've got to, you know, all these, these ritualistic things that they went through. They loved all that. And so seeking to find Jesus and his disciples in, in, in a transgression of the law, they come to him and ask him, why don't they wash their hands? This is what they're supposed to be doing. Verse 3, Jesus said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and he, he who speaks evil of a father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whatever shall you give to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been, um, have been helped, been given to God. He is not to honor his father and his mother. You see, this was them setting aside. They're, they're supposed to be honoring their, their father and mother, but they're setting aside, well, you know, I can't do that because I've got to take this money and, and do something else with it. One of the other gospel writers calls that Corbin. Verse 6, the end of verse 6. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. See, the teaching was that, you know, this is what you have to do with the money. But God says, God's word says otherwise. Verse 7. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. See, this is where we can get into a lot of trouble. We can get into a lot of trouble when we start thinking that, well, God will appreciate this. This is, this is for good. This, this is what I believe God would want. If God doesn't want it, and you're doing it, that's vain worship. That's worship in vain. That's worship that means nothing to God. Over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaks about this as well. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, they, they will come to him and say, Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your, in your name? Didn't we do many good things in your name? Remember what Jesus said? Depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. If we want to be pleasing to God... If we want to serve him and to worship him and the choices that we make, we've got to make sure that we're doing it according to his will, according to the word of God. Not according to our traditions, if they are outside of the traditions of God. Not according to our think-sos, not according to our, um, well, this might be good for us. Our, our, our uh, you know, why we want to do it, our... Um, Reason for doing it might be a good reason. We might have heartfelt good reasons behind what it is that we're doing, but if they're not coming from the inspired word of God, they're vain. God wants us to worship him a certain way. He who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Our worship is to be in spirit and in truth. Look over in John chapter 4. Another familiar passage, but serves so well in what we're talking about. That, remember, we have the choice of how we're going to worship God. He doesn't just set up robots that will just 
do exactly what he wants. He, he's given us choice. He's given us the ability to choose because that's what he wants. He wants people that will choose to serve him. That's what he wants. And John chapter 4 here, as, as Jesus is speaking um, with the woman at the well, verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming, and neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You see, part of Jesus' ministry, a big part of Jesus' ministry, was the transition from the old law to the law of Christ. And so a lot of his ministry deals with that, and he's, that's what he's talking about right here. She was arguing or, or speaking about where is it that we should worship? Our, my forefathers say in Samaria, others say in Jerusalem. See, that's the physical. That was the physical law that they were under, under the Mosaic law. But Jesus is speaking of a time when it doesn't matter, the physical place. It doesn't matter. Verse 22, you worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we do know, for salvation is for the Jews, from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. You see, that's, that's the kind of people that God wants to be his worshipers. Those who are seeking after the truth. Those who are seeking after the Spirit. Not those who are relying on their own ways and guiding their own steps. Not those who are, are lost in, uh, in the laws and traditions that they have set up that come after God's word. He wants the true worshipers who seek after him in spirit and in truth. Verse 24, for God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worshiper that God wants. He doesn't want idolatry. He doesn't want anything to come between um, you and him. He doesn't want ignorance. He wants you to know why it is that you're worshiping him. Not out of ignorance, but out of a knowledge of God the creator. And he doesn't want you to worship in vain. He doesn't want you to do the things that, that you might tell yourself are good to do. He wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshipers that God is wanting. These are the kind of decision makers that God wants. He wants those that will choose him. Spirit and in truth. We have to live with our choices. In all of this, we, the choices that we make, we, we, we've got to live with the consequences, good or bad. But understand this, what Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You see, some might think they can outsmart God, you know. I might be able to get away with this. I might can hide in the shadows. Remember Jonah? God said, go this way. Jonah went that way. He was trying to hide from God. God is not mocked. So the things that we do, the, the, the seeds that we sow, that's what we're going to reap. Good or bad. Our mission, our duty as a child of God is to, is to sow that good seed. Is to put down those things that will, that will grow into righteousness. And to help us in this life. So that that harvest time comes when the reaper comes to put in the sickle. That which he will glean will be those good things, the good fruits. 
the good grain. We have those choices to make in our life. God has left it to us to make those choices. But understand that he's given us everything that we need to make the right choice. The way we conduct our lives, our faith in him, and how we worship him. He's given us all that. So it's not a, a choice that we make blindly. It's a choice that we make in faith. So let's make good choices. Let's make sure that we're serving God the way he wants us to serve him. An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Let's be that kind of worshiper, seeking after the spirit and the truth. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one, to become a member of the kingdom, to be uh, surrounded by the brethren and to be um, a, a citizen that's granted all the rights of the citizen of the kingdom. If you're a child of God and you're not making good choices, I would encourage you to take this lesson to heart and make sure that the choices you make are, are the ones that will benefit you in the end the good choices. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.